All right, for those that don't uh, know me, my name is Rich Henderson, and I normally sit right about where Ron is, but with Nancy, my wife. Nancy's come to second service, so I'm sitting next to Ron this morning here. I've been at uh, Neighborhood Bible Church since our beginning, ten and a half years ago. And I'm also the director of a ministry called Love in the Name of Christ, or Love, Inc., and that's what I'm here to talk to you about this morning. Uh, Dave asked me if I would share with you the passion that's on my heart, and, and that passion is to see churches work together in helping people in need. And we do that here at Neighborhood Bible Church through Love, Inc. Uh, this year, 2017, is the 40th anniversary of the Love, Inc. movement. Uh, Forty years ago, our uh, founder, a man by the name of uh, Virgil Golker, started the first Love, Inc. in Holland, Michigan. And he uh, ran a social service agency, a Christian social service agency, and he was frustrated that he knew all these wonderful, caring Christians in Holland, Michigan, and he knew of all these great needs in Holland, Michigan, but there was a total disconnect between those two. And he had the conviction that if a church knew of a person in need in their neighborhood and that the need was legitimate and specific and manageable, that the members of that church would step up to the plate and meet the need. And so on that conviction, he started the first uh, Love, Inc. Uh, 40 years ago. And uh, now, 40 years later, there are 135 Love, Inc. affiliates around the country, and there are uh, five Love, Inc. affiliates in Nairobi, Kenya. So uh, uh, pretty exciting stuff has happened uh, since then. Um, a Love, Inc. forms when... Churches from different denominations decide they want to work together to help meet people's tangible needs in a distinctively Christian way. And here in Santa Clara County, that happened uh, 28 years ago. Uh, so we've been around for, uh, for 28 years. And um, what we do is we connect people with legitimate needs with Christian volunteers from local churches that are willing to help them. Uh, the vast majority of the folks that we connect uh, don't have any church connection. And so, really, it's a great way to do local outreach uh, to the neighborhood right around our church. And we uh, do it in such a way that meeting the need becomes a bridge to build a, a redemptive relationship uh, with folks. So people around this neighborhood call our office asking for help. Uh, most of them are uh, disabled or uh, seniors. Um, some are single mom with kids. Almost, almost all of them are uh, low income. And uh, they're exactly the kind of people that uh, Rob just uh, prayed for, the kind of people that God has a special concern for, the, the widow, the alien, the orphan. And um, do you know how they, how they call us, how they're directed to call us? They, uh, they talk to a secular uh, helping agency, and someone from that secular agency said, you need to call love in the name of Christ. Isn't that exciting? that uh, non-believers are telling people that ask them for help, you need to call Love in the Name of Christ. They can connect you with a Christian that will, uh, that will help you. Uh, when we answer the phone at the Love, Inc. office, we answer the phone, uh, Love in the Name of Christ, Love, Inc. of South San Jose. And when we talk to people, we we'll explain we're a network of Christian churches from different denominations that help people. And so if they're paying any attention at all, they know this is a Christian ministry. And... Uh, what this means is that when you go out uh, to help meet a need, you can be very open about your Christian faith, right? Because they call love in the name of Christ, and you show up. Um, they're not going to be surprised that you're a Christian. Um, you can, uh, in fact, they will probably expect you to have a concern for their soul as, far as, their, as well as their tangible need. They know that's what Christians do. 
by conviction, we receive no government funding, and that leaves us free to talk about Jesus all day long. And uh, all of our services are rendered uh, free of charge as a tangible display of Jesus' love to the person in need. And uh, we've been Love, Inc. of Santa Clara County. Um, started 28 years ago. Uh, uh, we went through a major reorganization. I'll tell you the, the big fruit of that in a few minutes. But uh, after the reorganization, we opened up, uh, reopened as Love, Inc. of South San Jose. And we did that to have a greater impact on a smaller area. 1.7 million people is a lot of, lot of uh, coverage that we couldn't cover. But half a million people, that's a little more uh, manageable for us. So if you can picture Highway 101, 280, and 17, uh, City of Santa, they, that's, our new, that's our new service area. Uh, so right now I'm going to have uh, the ushers come forward, and they've got uh, talent surveys for you. I'm going to have them pass those out. And uh, um, before the last song, you'll have a chance to turn that uh, talent survey in. And that's, uh, that's our inventory we use at Loving to know who wants to help and what can they do? Uh, if you fill out a talent survey before, we'd like a new one from you uh, so that we're dealing with fresh information, both your fresh contact information and new thing, uh, fresh information about one, what you want to do to help. The only exception would be if you uh, were at the February training meeting that I offered, uh, that's, that's current enough. So we don't need one from you if you were at that uh, February training meeting in the back room here. Um, so last week... Dave uh, wrapped up the sermon on heading, talking about spiritual gifts. And he said that as Christians, we're all given spiritual gifts by the Holy Spirit to build up the church and to glorify God. So loving provides you with a way to use your spiritual gift and your natural talents to help people in need in our local area. So, for instance, if you can uh, paint a room, we can connect you with an unchurched disabled person who needs their room painted. If you're good at chatting with people, we can connect you with someone who's requested a friendly visit from our office. Um, one of the spiritual gifts the Bible mentioned is the spiritual gift of service or helps. Can you imagine what an impact it can have on a lost person to have their tangible need met by a Christian who has been supernaturally empowered by the Holy Spirit with the gift of helps? Uh, could you imagine what a blessing it would be uh, for a person going through a time of discouragement to connect with a Christian who has the spiritual gift of encouragement. If you have the gift of mercy, we can connect you with a person who needs to be shown God's mercy in a very tangible way. If the person is unchurched, wouldn't it be great to connect them who is spiritually gifted as an evangelist or a pastor or a teacher? So do you see how the ministry of loving could be a great avenue for our church to exercise our gifts? It kind of fits right in with last week's uh, message. Uh, Dave once told me, Rich, the thing I really like about Love, Inc.'s ministry is that the church gets to be the hero of the story. And uh, he's right. Love, Inc. is really just an administrative tool that local churches use to work cooperatively to meet the tangible needs of people in their community. Um, a few years ago, I visited a church, and uh, in the foyer of the church was uh, under a banner that said, Missionaries We Support were a bunch of uh, pictures of missionaries that the church uh, financially supported. And I was looking at that display, and I thought, you know, I've seen my picture on a wall like that. Where, where have I seen that? And I realized it's right back here in the back corner of our church. There is a, a picture of uh, missionaries that the church displays, and my family is, is one of those pictures. 
I went back there just about five minutes ago to make sure they hadn't taken it down. It's still there, so you can, you can check that. But, uh, but here's what I came to realize. Uh, it's the wrong people in the picture, and that picture is hanging on the wrong wall. Right? There really should be a wall at the Love, Inc. office with a banner that says, Missionaries We Support, with a group photo of our congregation. Because that's what we do. We deploy local missionaries, and that's you. We deploy, deploy Christians like you to go meet people's tangible needs and do it in the name of Christ and look for opportunities uh, to be an influence for Jesus that might come. So you are the local missionaries. Uh, Loving supports you by providing those service opportunities that can open a door to uh, influence someone for Christ. So since this is our church's Love, Inc. Sunday, I think it would be appropriate if we recognized our Love, Inc. Uh, local missionary. So if you have served a need of a Love, Inc. client, could you just stand up? I know we got folks out there. All right, good. Can we, uh, Donatos, come on, Steve. You, you are, you're a champion in this, and Les, Les is already standing. We got a bunch of folks in the back standing. Uh, can we give these folks a hand for uh, representing Loving? Now, if you haven't volunteered to meet the need of a loving client, I encourage you to talk to one of these folks during the, I think we have a welcome lunch today, is that correct? Uh, during the welcome lunch, talk to them about uh, what it's like. Um, and if, uh, if you want to join that force yourself, when you turn in that talent survey, you're, you're joining that uh, group of people. There are a few volunteers that I want to, uh, from our church, I want to uh, publicly recognize. Um, I think the only one that I see right now is Les Albert. Uh, Les is, uh, go ahead and stand up, Les, right there at the back. So Les is our uh, receptionist at the Love, Inc. office, so he's the one that receives the call from uh, clients. And he also is one of our intake workers, which means he talks to them. He hears their story, gathers the information we need to, uh, to meet their need. Also from our church, uh, Lou Toller uh, helps with our uh, deposits. Uh, Penny Petralowitz is our receptionist. And then from the third service, uh, Herman Agulado is a receptionist, too. Um, and I know he's not here today, but I want to acknowledge uh, Dave Carlson for all the help that he's been to me. Uh, Dave's been a great sounding board for me to get to input on uh, ideas for Love, Inc., what's going to fly well with the pastors, what's, uh, what's not going to fly well. Talk a, bit, a little bit about our, our goals at Love, Inc. Uh, number one is to meet people's legitimate needs in the name of Christ. So let me break that apart a little bit. Um, uh, legitimate part is that we verify the needs. We ask a lot of questions, and then we will call uh, a reference for someone, a third party, that can verify the, the information that was given to us. Uh, also, the last part there, meet people's legitimate needs in the name of Christ. Um, what this means is that if you go out to meet a need, you're instantly in over your head, right? Because they've called love in the name of Christ, and you show up. So you can't do this by yourself. You need the Holy Spirit's power to enable you to live up to our name. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you. Uh, second thing is to unify the body of Christ. I would propose that the most transformative and the least controversial way that churches can work together is some kind of a united benevolence ministry where each congregation does the kind of benevolence work that they're good at, but they do it in a coordinated way. In other words, something like Love, Inc., right? And I would also propose to you that we'll be more effective in our evangelism efforts as a result of a common benevolence effort. Uh, we can expect God to grant us favor in the eyes of unchurched people in our community when we work together to meet people's tangible needs. When I tell unchurched people 
what I do for a living, almost to a person they say, that is really cool. That is really cool that churches would do that. It's kind of like they know we're supposed to do that, right? They know enough about the Bible to know Christians are supposed to help people in need so that when we actually do it and we do it in a a coordinated way, that really impresses them. Um, Third thing is to help Christians become more Christ-like through the spiritual discipline of service. So the idea here is that Love, Inc. is not only about helping them, it's also about helping you. You see, just like prayer or Bible study or corporate worship, Serving others is a spiritual discipline. It's a means that God gives us to become more like Christ, that we become more mature Christians as we follow Jesus' example of taking up the towel and serving others. So positive things come into your life as a result of uh, serving. I want to spend some time, uh, bulk of my time this morning, on the second part of our purpose statement, to help churches help people in a distinctively Christian way. Um, Over the last few years, God has uh, clarified for me how we do that. Uh, So our Love Inc. affiliate has been around for 28 years. I've been involved since the beginning. I was a pastor of a small church that was one of the founding uh, churches when Love Inc. got started. And then for the last 15 years, I've been the director. And uh, what bothered me is that I didn't feel like we were doing this. I didn't feel like we were meeting people's needs in a distinctively Christian way. I felt like the way that we were meeting needs look pretty much like any secular or government agency would, uh, would meet needs. And um, the, a key verse that God used to get my attention here is uh, Romans 12, uh, 2. You probably know it as don't be conformed to this world. I was struck by the way Eugene Peterson paraphrases it in his uh, message version. He says, don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. And I thought, that's what has happened to me in terms of benevolence. I've become so well-adjusted my culture that I just fit into it without even thinking. And God used Christian books like uh, When Helping Hurts, uh, Toxic Charity, and Redemptive Compassion to help me put into words what I felt in my gut was deficient about the way that we were doing ministry. And these books not only accurately diagnosed the problem, but more importantly, they described with clarity a remedy. How do we help people in, uh, in a biblical way? So in your, in your uh, outline, in your uh, bulletin, you've got an outline of, uh, of those points that we now, principles that we now operate by. So the first one there is to focus on the person, not their need. Our uh, American culture has a very need-oriented approach to poverty alleviation. So, for instance, we come across a person who has a need. Let's say they tell you they need food. And instantly, the focus is on getting food to that person. And if we get food to the person who states that they need food, we feel good. We're successful. We've done what we should do. But have we? Do you realize that giving food to a person who asks for it may actually violate a command of Scripture? This is what Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 3.10. If anyone will not work, neither let him eat. So giving food to someone too lazy to work actually works counter to the purposes of God in that person's life. Uh, Proverbs 16, uh, 26 says this, A worker's appetite works for him, for his hunger urges him on. So if you feed him, you take away his incentive to work. You also diminish his dignity because part of being created in God's image is to be a worker like our creator is. Things weren't always this way 
in our country. Uh, in the book, uh, The Tragedy of American Compassion, Marvin Olasky explains that prior to the uh, New Deal and Fair Deal programs started by Franklin Delano Roosevelt in the 1930s, the government pretty much stayed out of benevolence work. It wasn't seen as the government's responsibility to take care of the poor and needy. Instead, uh, people in need were helped on a very local level by churches, by synagogues, by local civic organizations. And the, the, the help that they received tended to be tailored specifically to what they needed as an individual or as a family in order to be lifted out of poverty, often with self-help requirements attached. So if I was a person in need, the focus would be on getting to know me, on finding out what skills and abilities I had, what plunged me into poverty, what can help get me out, and what role I should play in getting myself out. Uh, you might be familiar with these three words when it comes to uh, uh, helping people, the, the words of relief, rehabilitation, and development. And the idea here is that different types of assistance are appropriate based on the circumstances that cause the need. So let me go through some definitions here. So relief refers to meeting immediate needs to help provide uh, for people uh, right after a crisis. Uh, we had one of those here locally. Anybody remember what it was just a few months ago? The floods in South San Jose, right? Okay. So all of a sudden, your home is flooded, and you have no car, you have no place to live, you have no food, you have no water. That's a very appropriate time to bring relief, right? Uh, and with relief, the only strategy is how can we get the needed supplies to those affected by the crisis as quickly and effectively as possible? That's all we need to know. Uh, rehabilitation refers to helping get people get back to what life was like before the crisis. So rebuilding homes after Hurricane Katrina would be an illustration of this. And um, the strategy then for rehabilitation is to come alongside people and partner with them as they work to get their lives back to normal, all right? Development refers to helping people overcome the problems that caused the poverty in the first place. So that old proverb of uh, uh, give a man a, a fish, you feed him for a day, teach a man to fish, you feed him for a lifestyle and for a lifetime. That's what development is. Um, so microloans and mentoring by successful business owner to help people start uh, in need start up their own businesses would be an example of the develop, uh, development stage. Um, so uh, the strategy then for development is to mentor the person in the skills and the knowledge they need, not only to be self-sufficient, but to thrive. Now, when the government started getting heavily involved in meeting people's needs during the Great Depression, I can understand where a relief strategy was appropriate because our nation was experiencing an economic crisis. The problem is that relief became the go-to strategy for helping people in need in our country, even there when there was no crisis that called the, caused the relief in the first place. And the result is that we have a very need-oriented approach to poverty alleviation. So because of this focus on the need instead of the person and not requiring people to do their part in meeting the need, we're often applying relief strategies to situations that really required rehabilitation or development strategies. And uh, the results of applying the wrong strategy can be devastating. So for instance, by creating a culture of dependency on the government for assistance, there are families in America that have been on, on welfare for five generations. Uh, 
The result is that the modeling that the children need to observe in order to work and be productive members of society has been absent for generations, leaving those ch- children crippled when it comes to their ability to, uh, to, to get and keep a job. And folks, I believe that the American church has been influenced by our culture in this regard and has adopted this kind of need-focused approach rather than a, a person-focused approach. I know I did. I was the director of a ministry called Love in the Name of Christ, and I had a very need-centered approach to helping people. Um, and I'm not alone. Uh, a couple years ago, I, I uh, had a meeting with a pastor who ran a uh, food ministry in a church. And uh, it was fascinating to me to listen to his metric of success. He said, you know, Rich, when I came here uh, to this uh, spot in this ministry five years ago, we were giving away $2 million of food a year. And this year, we're going to give away $12 million of food. And next year, we're on pace to give away $20 million of food. And as I sat back and I thought about that, I thought, that sounds like exactly like what the government would use to measure the success of a food stamp program, right? We got more and more and more people on food stamps when maybe a better metric of success was, uh, you know, due to our job placement ministry and our budget mentoring ministry, half the people that got food last year need food this year, right? Um, So as the church, we're called to be different in the way we help people in need. Instead of focusing on the person, the biblical, excuse me, instead of focusing on the need, the biblical pattern is to focus on the person. Every client that calls our office at Love, Inc. is precious in the sight of God, so precious that Jesus died for them. Um, so now our process is to hear the client's story before we focus on their need. Because what, when we do that, we're saying, you know what, you're more important than your need. You as a person are more important than the, the, the need that you currently have. Uh, when we do go, get to the point of addressing their need, we seek to reflect uh, uh, God's love for them by seeking to give them what's best for them. Uh, what people want may not be really what uh, they need or what's best for them. For instance, uh, one of the big calls we get at the Love Inc. office is people wanting us to immediately give them money to meet their financial needs. Now, what we offer is a budget mentoring program where we teach them biblical principles of money management and we pair them with a Christian that can be a mentor for them. And uh, we also offer a two-for-one savings match as a financial incentive for them. Uh, And we tell them we'd rather help you develop a lifestyle of good stewardship of money than just rescue you from your latest financial crisis. Um, goes to our next point, to seek to discern what God is doing in the person's life so that we can join him in his work. Uh, Jesus set the example for us in this regard. In uh, John 15, 19, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son does uh, also does in like manner. So Jesus tells us he didn't take the initiative in doing ministry. He, he looked for what the Father was doing, and then he joined the Father in what God the Father was already doing. And we're called to do the same. Uh, we only know how to cooperate with what God is uh, doing in the person's life after listening to their story and taking the time to pray and investigate. There's a great uh, verse from uh, Job. In uh, Job 29, 16, Job says this, 
I was a father to the needy, and I, invested, I investigated the case which I did not know. Uh, that's the only way to be a good steward of the resources God has entrusted to you, to do investigation. And investigation takes time. Uh, this, by the way, is the reason that I never give money to people that hold the homeless vet signs on the, on the meridian strips, you know, and on the streets. Because by design, there is zero time for me to investigate, right? Um, uh, at, uh, at Love, Inc., when we get to the point in our process where we investigate a client's request, uh, we ask them, who's somebody that can verify this? So we're not just taking your word for it, but we're getting some independent uh, verification of this. Since the person in need is of great value to God, we're to make the assumption that he has been working in their life before their interaction with us. So as we hear the story, we want to seek to prayerfully discern what he's been doing in their life so that we can cooperate with him. And I'll tell you, folks, what derails us here is making decisions on emotions, especially on the emotions of what's going to make me feel good. What makes us feel good may actually be harmful to the person that we're seeking to help. Uh, let me give you an illustration of this. So, for instance, uh, imagine that an uh, elderly widow calls a nearby church office and says that her front lawn has become overgrown with weeds and that her neighbors filed a complaint with the city and now the city is putting pressure on her to clean up her yard. So the church secretary gets that call. She hands that request to the head of the men's ministry. They rally a group of men to descend on her yard on a Saturday morning, and they beat the yard back into submission. And the widow, her neighbors, the city, and the volunteers from the church all feel good about the situation when the job is done. So everybody feels good, and on the surface, that looks like a great thing to do, but have they done good? So what if the backstory on this is this? What if due to frequent falls and hazardous conditions they found in the home, the three adult children of that widow have decided that it was unsafe for their mother to live alone anymore? What if her daughter had a comfortable guest cottage all set up for her on her property where her mother could maintain her independence but be close enough for the daughter to keep an eye on her? What if the widow had persistently turned down the arrangements that her children had set up to help her? And what if the three adult children knew that their mother was so stubborn and independent they had determined that the only way they could convince her they could convince her that it was time to make a change was not to help her anymore with the upkeep of her house and her lawn? What if that was the backstory? And here we come as nice church people, we come in to save the day, and in doing so, we're working contrary to what the woman's family knew was best for her. Right? See why you gotta investigate? Um, so uh, we can't base our actions on what feels good to us. We have to base on prayer and investigation, discerning what God is doing and how we can come alongside him. Next point there is uh, come alongside and partner with a person to meet their own need. So the... Uh, the idea there is that uh, living in need takes a toll on the dignity of the person. Um, when we do for people what we what they can and do can and should do for this self, it uh, reinforces the idea you are incapable. Uh, that's why you don't see dads around when charitable organizations give out free toys at Christmas. 
The dads are ashamed that they don't have money to buy the toys. It takes a tremendous amount of discernment to do benevolence work in a way that doesn't further damage the self-worth of the person asking for help. Um, there are two verses in Galatians 6. Uh, I want you to have, take a look at it. If you've got a Bible, turn there. Galatians chapter 6, and we're going to look at verse uh, 2 and verse 5. Now, at first blush, this looks contradictory. This looks like it doesn't, like a contradiction of the Bible, but it's, it's not at all. So Galatians chapter 6, verse 2 says this, Bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. Now you skip down to verse 5 and it says, For each one shall bear his own load. Sounds like a contradiction. This will help. There's two different words used in verse 2 and verse 5. Verse 2 refers to a burden that's too heavy to carry on your own. If If you have the mental picture of a overstuffed backpack that has just got way too much stuff in it, way too heavy, you'll have the right idea. The word for load in verse 5 refers to something that's not too heavy, but that a person should be able to carry on their own. So if you have the idea of a knapsack, it's got your sandwich, it's got a bottle of water, uh, some sunscreen, you're good, right? You should be able to carry that. So uh, in effect, Paul is saying each of you should carry your own knapsack and help each other with the overstuffed heavy backpack. Um, so the biblical principle is share one another's excessive burdens, but expect them to do what they're capable of doing. Um, because of that new principle, one of our slogans around Love, Inc. is to expect the able body to lift their end of the couch. So if I ask you to help me um, move a couch, you totally get it that moving a couch is a two-person job. Rich cannot move a couch by himself, Okay. But if when you get over to my house to help move the couch, I say, where's the other volunteer? Y'all yeah, look back at me and say, well, I'm looking at him, right? I mean, you're, it's your couch. You're one of the one that needs it moved. And I'll certainly help you, but get on that side. Um, this, uh, uh, this leads to our next principle, to allow people to, to learn life lessons that come from natural consequences of their choices. And folks, we live in a culture that is extremely resistant to this, but it is very biblical. Um, for the sake of time, I'm not going to um, read this, but I've referenced in your notes uh, Hebrews chapter 12, uh, verses uh, 5 through 11. Uh, talks about the fact that just like an earthly father disciplines his children, our heavenly father uh, disciplines us. And he does it for our good, so that we'd sh- we would share his holiness. Uh, and a huge part of the way that God disciplines us is by uh, allowing us to learn life lessons from the consequences of our choices. We heard one this morning. Ben learned a life lesson 20 years ago from his dad, right? <laughs> Took him a while, but he learned through natural consequence a life lesson. Um, uh, a former uh, board member uh, once put it to me uh, this way. He said, you know, Rich, as a dad, you teach your kids certain things. And then, at a certain point, life teaches them things. I thought, that's, that's true. Uh, life will teach them things if we don't stand in the way by rescuing them from the natural consequences of their choices. And so in my previous example, the natural consequence of my choice not to move my end of the couch ought to be the couch stays stuck, right? It doesn't move. Um, but because we live in a rescuing culture, our tendency is to say, okay, well, yeah, let me go get another volunteer, we'll get this couch out of here for you. 
And as a result, the life lessons that God intends people to learn are thwarted, and they stay perpetually immature and irresponsible. So our misguided helping actually hurts them. Uh, Next principle there is that recognize that biblical compassion ministry is inherently expensive. And we Americans love quick fixes and doing things cheaply and easily. And I don't know that there's any place in the country where we like that better than Silicon Valley, right? I mean, this is a place where things happen fast. Uh, So here's how this plays out in benevolence work. So a single mom calls a church office uh, saying that PG&E is going to shut off her power that day unless she can pay them $700. And what's the normal response? Well, the normal response is... uh, Get out the church benevolence uh, checkbook and write out a check to $700 to PG&E, and the problem is solved. It's quick, it's easy, and it's cheap. Now, you might be saying, well, I could see how that solution would be quick and easy, but cheap? I mean, it cost the church $700. That's not cheap. Uh, I think it was, because what that woman needed is a whole lot more expensive, right? Um, what a single mom with a shutoff notice needs is Christians from a local church to walk alongside her for a long period of time. She needs Christian women to befriend her and maybe even admonish her. Um, She needs mentors to help her learn to manage her money. She needs to hear biblical preaching so she can have confidence in facing the challenges in her life. She needs mature Christian men to be role models for her children. She needs uh, help putting together a resume and a business owner who will take a chance on giving her a job, even though uh, uh, she may not look as well qualified on paper as other applicants. She may need benevolence funds to get her car fixed so that she can get to that new job when she she gets it. In short, she needs a church filled with Christian people who will care about her. That's the big thing. To do Christian benevolence ministry, somebody's got to care. And really, a whole church needs to care. Uh, So Christian benevolence ministry is inherently expensive in the one commodity that people in uh, Silicon Valley guard most preciously, and that's their time. And that's why it's such a witness to people around us when we engage in this kind of work. If you want a a biblical example of this, that biblical benevolence ministry is inherently expensive, look at the story of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10. And think about how expensive it was for the Good Samaritan to help the man beaten by robbers. So, number one, it cost him his agenda. The parable says he was on a journey. He had somewhere he was supposed to be going, right? This was a, this was a, 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 a kink in his plan, something he didn't plan on. Uh, it cost him his comfort. It says he put the injured man on his animal and he walked to the inn. It cost him his time to bandage the man up and to stay with him overnight at the inn. It cost him his money to pay the innkeeper so the man could have bed rest to recuperate. Yet, the Bible says this is how we love our neighbor. This is the illustration that we're given. Um, next principle there is to remember that it is the gospel that truly changes lives. Um, I know Kel, so I'm going to pick on him. Uh, so I'm going to say Kel is a, a person in need. All right? And uh, um, here's a question for you. If Kel's the person in need, how would you fill in the blank? You know what Kel really needs is blank. All right? Think about that for a second. And let me tell you the kind of answers that we typically think of. Well, what Kel really needs is a job. You know, if we could just help Kel get a good education, he could, um, or excuse me, uh, get a good paying job, 
he could have a, uh, sufficient income to meet his family's financial needs. Or an education. If Kel could just get a good education, then he could get that good paying job. Uh, maybe this one, life's training skills. If we just teach Kel how to get along with others, right, <laughs> he could get a job and keep a job. And, uh, and uh, uh, we can maybe teach him good man money management skills that he'd need to stay afloat financially. Now, none of these things are true of Kel because he's our church treasurer, so he's got excellent <laughs> financial abilities and very easy to get along with. But these kind of answers could go on and on, right? But our Christian faith informs us that what Kel ultimately needs is a reconciled relationship with God that comes through trusting Jesus as his Lord and Savior. Without that, Kel might be a well-educated man with a great job and good life skills, but he's still lost. He's still headed for hell without Christ. A relationship with Jesus really does change everything from the inside out. That's why Paul said the kind of the introductory book to uh, statement of the book of Romans, Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And I bring this up because there's a history in Christianity of our benevolence uh, efforts losing track of the centrality of the gospel. I mean, you think of the YMCA, Young Men's Christian Association, start off as a very evangelical group, and, and now kind of they're a health club, right? There's, a, there's other groups like that that start off very gospel-centered and kind of drifted from that. Um, if, we, if we don't share the gospel, we're ultimately falling short on helping people in the most profound and lasting way possible. So those are the new principles that we organized around when we uh, restarted. And I'm uh, encouraged by the uh, early results. We've been at it about uh, 15 months now, and some encouraging early signs. We, uh, at our recent board meeting, could recount uh, just off the top of our heads three people that had visited a church now as a result of being helped by a loving volunteer. Now, that would happen in the past, but we're far more deliberate now about trying to meet uh, people's spiritual needs and trying to look for those connections to be an influence uh, for, for Jesus in their life. Uh, another indicator that we're on the right track, uh, after we listen to the client's story, um, before we pray for them towards the end of the call, we ask them this question, what's something you're grateful for today? And we ask that question intentionally because it helps the client build an asset into their life, the asset of gratitude. So instead of focusing on all, all the things they don't have, it focuses them on what God has given them. And do you know what the, one of the most common answers we get to that question uh, is? They say, this phone call. I'm grateful for this phone call. I'm grateful that somebody took the time to listen to me and hear me out and uh, pray for me. Uh, Lavette, come on up. I want to introduce to you uh, Lavette Hay. Uh, since March of this year, Lavette has been our uh, uh, NBC. The fancy name for it is Church Ministry Coordinator, Okay. Uh, so Levette is the one that gets these talent surveys, and uh, when the Love, Inc. office has a, a need from a Brown Neighborhood Bible Church, and we, we have a copy of the talent survey, so we know what the resources are. When we find a good match, we call Levette, and Levette is the one that does the, the actual matching. We just know we've got talent surveys that says people might be able to help, but since Levette knows the church, she's the one that uh, makes the match. Um, um, so I want you to be able to uh, connect a, a face to the uh, voice on the phone when you get the call uh, with the service opportunity or the, or the email. Um, 
You know, it's the kind of behind-the-scenes job that very people know about, but it's just vital to our partnership uh, together. So can we have a, a round of applause for Levette for doing that? Nope. Now stay here. Now I want to tell you, you want to be really nice to this lady, okay? And there's two reasons for that. Uh, first of all, Levette is just a very nice person. So if you're not nice to her, something's wrong with you, okay? <laughs> but secondly... Uh, remember how I said at the start of the sermon that serving others is a spiritual discipline. It's a means that God gives us to become more like Jesus. Well, Levette is the person at Neighborhood Bible Church who decides who gets those service opportunities. So be nice to Levette for your own sanctification, right? If you want to be more like Jesus, you better be nice to this lady. So I, I can see what's coming at the welcome lunch. Lavette, why don't you sit down? Let me, let me get food for you. Do you need some more lemonade? Or how about this one? Here, here's my talent survey. You'll notice I've attached a $20 bill. So uh, when needs come up, send them my way. All right? You want to be really nice to Lavette when she, uh, when she calls. So I'm going to... Uh, oh, and then Lavette mentioned a couple things that we need, we need from you on the talent surveys. First... I mentioned this before. If you've turned out a talent serving in the past, we'd like a new one from you. Uh, some of the ones we have are really old, and we don't have uh, current information. Uh, the only exception, again, if you came to the uh, training seminar in February at the room with my picture on it, okay, you're good. Uh, all the rest of you, we'd like uh, new talent surveys. And secondly, we have a very specific request that we can just take care of easily this way. We have a, a request for yard work for someone that needs to have the ability to stand on a ladder and uh, trim a tree. Uh, so, uh, and also, we need some hedging done. So we have a check mark for yard work, but not tree trimming or hedging. So if you can just write under uh, other opportunities, uh, tree trimming and hedging, we'll know we've got a, a volunteer for that. Tools. And the tools, yeah. A hedger and a, a saw or a pruner or something like that. So, uh, Levette, you can go back to your seat while she does. You can give her another uh, round of applause. And uh, while she's heading back, I'm going to have the band uh, come back on up. We're uh, almost, uh, almost done here. Uh, before, before we wrap up, I want to acknowledge another uh, person in the congregation. So, Kel Cummins is not only elder here at NBC, but he is also a board member at Love, Inc., and I look back last year, uh, yesterday, Kel, I think you've been doing that about nine years or so. Uh, I probably shouldn't have told you that because now you might want to quit, but you've been doing that a long time. Uh, the responsibility of the board is to discern God's, uh, God's will for the organization, and that's what Kel does. He helps us discern what is God leading us to do. In fact, this whole reorganization that we went through, Kel was a, a vital part of that. Um, Kel's been a great, uh, wonderful source of godly wisdom uh, for me as the director, so I just appreciate him. And he's going to come up now and tell you about another way that you can partner with us. So I just wanted to add a couple things to what, to what Rich said. The way I got involved with Loving to start with was as, as a volunteer. And it was really, um, for me, uh, what prompted this for me was actually the book of James where he talks about, you know, Faith without works, and um, and talks about you know uh, visiting widows and, and orphans in their affliction, and thinking like, well, okay, you know, how, what do I do? <laughs> I know that's how it saves me, but um, I don't want a dead faith. And so it was it was through Love Inc. that I got that's that kind of gave me an avenue um, to express this, and 
you know, no surprise, um, there was more to it than that because um, what I found was, you know, that little phrase, you know, it's better to give than to receive, right? Um, I've been able to do some of these service projects with my wife, and I think that's been able to bring, it gives she and I have a chance to interact in a different way that we normally wouldn't, and you know, bring us a bit closer. Um, I remember doing one with my family uh, when our children were really young, and you know, I won't name which one of my children, well, why, Dad, why do we have to do this? And it just gave me a way to say, you know what, in the fabric of our family, this is just what we do, okay? So stop your complaining, and we just go do. Um, and, uh, and it just gave me a way to do that. One of the things I'm most grateful for is uh, even at work, you know, people just kind of ask, oh, how was your weekend, things like that, and you talk about this kind of stuff, and it, it just gives you an avenue to, you know, talk about it, uh, which are things that just normally wouldn't come up, and, uh, and things. So I'm, I'm just uh, really, really grateful for having the opportunity to do these things. I owe that a apology for an opportunity. And also, you know, just grateful to be able to uh, fellowship with Rich uh, in this in this way also. Uh, but what I did want to call your, call specifically to your attention is uh, what Rich mentioned earlier is instead of going really, really wide in the, in the Bay Area and calling our service area very, very big, in the past few years we've actually brought it, uh, scoped it down. Um, and that's, that's very, very consistent with where we're going with the ministry to have a deeper relationship with those who are in need. Uh, and, and, uh, and so we brought our service area down to have more depth and not breadth. Uh, what that's meant, though, is that the people, be they churches or individuals, that financially support um, has also come down. And so we're going through this uh, transition because we think eventually there's more depth in that too. And that's what I wanted to call your attention to is you're participating in that way also. So you'll see on your, on your, uh, on your survey here, there's a point other, other, under other opportunities called Donate $30 a month to Love Inc. If you check this, that just expresses your desire, your intent. Uh, you actually then still need to do it um, because uh, loving isn't set up in a way to kind of draw that um, you know, from you. Um, but, it, but it does, to me, this is a ministry that needs to thrive. Um, it's, it's kind of, it's, it's a bit out of sight, out of mind for lots of people, uh, which I think is part of, part of the difficulty um, in the ministry itself. But the benefits and to people in need, um, I just sent, told you some of the benefits that I've uh, enjoyed by being a volunteer and things like that. It just uh, weighs heavily on me. I hope it does for you. Uh, for it's just something that needs to thrive. Um, not to mention that Rich and his family uh, are you know, worship with us. They fellowship with us and stuff like that. And also just uh, kind of supporting. Uh, rich in that, in that also. Um, if you're unable to do that, I will say that if you do donate to uh, NBC, as Rich said, it is one of the missions that NBC as a whole supports. But again, um, you know, we could really use as the loving ministry uh, some more participation, uh, you know, financially. So I just ask if you would prayerfully consider that, uh, and thank you. All right, um, gonna have the ushers come forward with those uh, orange pieces of paper there. And uh, here's what we're going to do. We're going to we're going to 
wrap up in just a couple minutes if you'll do this for me. Uh, if you have an interest in serving at Love, Inc., uh, raise your hand, and our ushers have an orange piece of paper that says important information for volunteers. So just uh, raise your hand. We'll pass those down the row. Even if you don't know if you want to do this, if you think you are, uh, get one of those orange pieces of paper. And what this is, is this is practical tips that we've learned over 28 years of ministry that are going to help loving volunteers when they go out to serve. So basically, this is 28 years of making mistakes, all right? All captured on one piece of paper for you. And um, uh, I strongly encourage you, take a few minutes today and read it, and then put it somewhere where, where you won't lose it, so that when Levette calls you with a need, uh, you'll, you'll know how to respond. So, for instance, number 14 on that, uh, on that paper says, when introducing yourself to the client over the phone, we suggest you say, this is Rich Henderson from Neighborhood Bible Church. I'm calling about the request that you made to Love, Inc. for help with blank. Our church is part of the Love, Inc. network. The reason we put that there is we want them to connect with you and with your church, not with Love, Inc. Okay, we're a phone ministry. We're a administrative tool. They'll never be able to find Love, Inc., but they can find every Bible church. So we want them to connect with you. So that's what that uh, uh, orange sheet is. Uh, I encourage you to uh, to read it. Um, if your heart resonates with helping people with need uh, this way, I want you to partner with us. And uh, Rob and the band are going to play another song. If you haven't turned out your, uh, fill out your talent survey, fill it out right now. Or right after this uh, next song is done, Rob's going to have the ushers come back and collect those uh, talent surveys. And in doing that, you're really joining the local missions force here at the uh, Neighborhood Bible Church. Let me pray for us. Father. People in need are devalued by the world, but they're of precious value to you. And there's no organization that's better suited to help them than the church. We can't possibly make the most of the opportunities that you give us to serve others without your help, Holy Spirit. So strengthen us, empower us to serve. Help us to serve in such a way that we instill hope, dignity, and confidence in those we help. Let our acts of kindness, however small, give people a sense that you love them. It's a privilege to bring honor to your name by serving people in need. We ask all these things in the matchless name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.